0: accounting, investment, or other similar expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought. Hello, and welcome back, everyone, to The Road to Financial Freedom, a podcast that allows experts to share their stories and secrets to unlocking their financial independence. This podcast is brought to you by Camaplan, a self-directed IRA administrator in Ambler, PA, that focuses on educating investors with different ways to grow their retirement savings faster through alternative investments. And once again, we're still recording our podcast remotely. I'm Jess Jones, Camaplan team member and your podcast host. Today, we're taking another stop along our journey to financial freedom. As many of the investors we have heard from on this podcast have gotten their start through a very particular asset, which is real estate. With its varying types and wide range of benefits, it's no wonder that real estate is one of the most popular alternative investments that people choose to invest in, especially with a self-directed IRA. But if you're someone who's just starting out and you aren't as familiar with the ins and outs of the real estate world, all of these options and details can be pretty hard to wrap your head around. Additionally, investing in this asset type with a self-directed IRA comes with its own set of rules. And if you have the right tools and knowledge, real estate investing can actually result in growing retirement income that is fast and easy for you, which is why we're taking the time today to sit with Kama Plan's own Donna Iannuzzi. Donna is a long-standing member of our operations department and has helped thousands of clients navigate real estate transactions of all kinds. So she's very familiar with all the steps and strategies for purchasing, holding, and selling real estate through a self-directed IRA. Thanks for joining us today, Donna. Thank
1: you. It's nice to be here with you. <laughs> of course. Yeah.
0: So we'll just get started. I mean, you've been in our operations department for a while. You've seen a ton of real estate transactions come in and out of our of our company. So let's start with, you know, real estate's one of the most popular alternative assets, that, as I mentioned before. But this definition expands beyond just what I think of when I first hear real estate as, you know, a single family home. So right. what are some of the various types of real estate assets that you've actually seen people invest in, especially with their self-directed IRAs?
1: So, of course, the single-family home is the most popular, but you could also purchase condominiums and duplexes. Some people will invest in commercial properties, raw land, and actually you can. a lot of people will invest in international properties.
0: Oh, cool. So international properties could be anything like, I mean, anything like a single family home, but it's Single family
1: home, Europe. right. Because they're they're all going to be rentals. So it's, it's, it's basically an investment and you're going to rent that property out. So, but you can also do that internationally as well.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I didn't actually, I don't know why I didn't put two and two together, but I, for some reason, just didn't think you could do that as internationally. So that's pretty cool. Are there any, you know, specifics to... To quickly kind of divert off of that is, are there any specifics to international investing that people need to know about? Maybe we can touch on that a bit later. But is there any right? Is there anything that investors should be aware of if they're investing in something overseas?
1: Well, of course, all of the properties you can't use yourself, unfortunately, but you can't use it as a vacation home. The biggest thing I would say for anybody in, investing in an international property is at the end of the year we always need a fair market value of those properties so you have to be able to obtain that value so that we can value the account at the end of the year so that's one thing that is very important other than that it's going to work the same way as if you bought a single family home here in the u.s that's cool yep Mm -hmm. strictly an investment you can't live in it you can't work on it you can't vacation there unfortunately but um it will work the same way as if you bought something here in the US.
0: Got it. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that. So to backpedal a little bit, can you explain each step in this real estate purchasing process and what it looks like for a typical client going through this kind of transaction?
1: Sure. So you want to go out, right? You'll find the property that you like, have the realtors draw up a sales contract. Of course, it's going to be all written up in the IRA name. So that would be your CAMA plan for the benefit of Jess Jones' IRA. And you'll always review the, the documents first, initial them, send them over to CAMA, and then we're going to sign off on behalf of your IRA. So it's going to work the same way as if you were going out personally to buy a property. It's just that you have one extra step because CAMA plan has to be involved because we're always going to sign the documents on behalf of your IRA. But the first step would be to have your realtor write up that sales contract. We'll get that signed off if you require a deposit CAMA plan would send that deposit out for you and then we'll wait for the closing then when the closing rolls around we're going to do the same thing they would draw up a title company is going to draw up all of your your paperwork we can go over all the different forms involved in that and um, then CAMA will send out the money for you sign all the documents and the property is now held in your ira account
0: Cool. So yeah, that you kind of answered one of the questions that came up for me when I was thinking of questions to ask you about these types of transactions is, is there any other ways other than titling that investing through a self-directed IRA versus investing personally causes this process to differ at all?
1: Uh, so, well, of course, since you're buying it through your IRA, mm-hmm. you cannot be, obviously you can go out, you can find the property, you know, choose things for it. But of course you can't work on it. You can't work on it. Your spouse can't work on it. Sometimes, you know, I have somebody say, oh, well, my husband's a carpenter. So once I buy the property, I'm going to have him come in and do all of the repairs. Well, you're not allowed to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So there's certain people that cannot do the work on the property that are per the IRS guidelines, but everything else would kind of work the same way. But you would hire a contractor to do all of the work and all the bills get paid through the IRA. So you just have to be hands off. Like again, you can make the decisions, but you you just can't go in there and actually do the work.
0: Got it. All right. Yeah, so that definitely clears it up because I know we've I've spoken to people before who, you know, may have been trying to learn about the self-directed option, but Right, have come into the problem of oh well, my husband's the contractor. Where does that right. come in? So people can certainly, I guess, invest personally in those sorts of things if they want to be more hands off. But you know, based on what you're saying, it sounds like you know self directed real estate investing is definitely a more hands off experience.
1: Hands off, correct? Yeah, and right. it has to be <laughs> just for Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, that definitely clears it up a little bit. So you touched on the fact that the title company is going to draw up a number of documents that go into making sure a closing goes smoothly. And if you actually can just answer also, you know, for someone like me, I hear closing Mm -hmm. and I literally think of a door closing. And I think, oh, that's got to be the theatrical part of me is like, oh, that must be (laughs) the end of the process. But the closing actually comes at the end of the process purchasing process but it's kind of the beginning right. of owning this asset in an IRA. Do I have that right or sure, right. you know, can you explain like right. what exactly a closing is, what happens there and then we can go into documents?
1: Sure, sure. So at the closing, that's when all of the documents come through. There'll be a settlement statement which was which is also called a HUD and now today, you know, they have closing disclosures and altas. That's going to say what the purchase price of the property is. Any of the expenses. If you gave a deposit earlier, that'll get deducted from your cost. That'll be all of your cost to buy that property. At the closing table, that's when CAMA is gonna send your money over and purchase the property. Now it's in the, the IRA name. And we can go over some of the other documents. Of course, the deed would then be written up in your in your IRA, in the IRA titling. We send over the funds. Now the property is is now owned by the IRA. Okay, gotcha. Are there any other documents
0: that, you know, go into this process? Or is that pretty much it? Alta, HUD, deed? For the closing.
1: The basic ones, if, if people ask, I mean, the, the at the very least, CAMO would need to see a copy of the deed and have that closing statement but you also, if you get title insurance, there'll be a copy of the title policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then any other documents, there could be some affidavits that the title company draws up. So it just depends. It could be, a, it can also be an attorney that may be drawing up the documents and, and handling the closing. So everyone has their own documents, but basically those are the, are the main ones.
0: Okay, and is it also kind of up to the client to choose if a title com- if they work with a title company or an attorney or is it kind of matter what type of asset it is? So I'm just curious is how does that get chosen? If you've experienced clients picking a attorney versus title company this and that.
1: Right. Generally, it's with a title company. Of course, some clients can choose attorneys, and I believe in certain states an attorney has to be working with them during the closing. Okay. So, I think it I think it Definitely can depend on the state in which you're purchasing the property. If they do the international, a lot of times I see that going through an attorney.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah. That yeah. that was yeah. going to
1: be another question for me too. It's like, so if it's dependent on state, I guess country also has its country as well. Right, right. <laughs> has its right. specific rules. Okay. But of course, so that- all the money you all the money will definitely flow through that account, right? So it'll mm-hmm. it'll flow through either the title company, the money gets wired directly to the title company, or the attorney's account, and then they disperse from there.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Donna, what happens? And I'm kind of going off script here and asking a um, okay. a question that's come up just based on what you're saying. What happens to this documentation, and what's the process like if the name on the deed or titling on the deed has to change for whatever reason? You know, someone should someone passes away, that property's in their IRA. How does that necessarily mm-hmm. work in terms of if a property becomes it's a subject of, okay, someone else is inheriting it.
1: So you're saying once it's purchased and it's in this CAMA plan name, that person passes and it needs to go to someone else, correct?
0: Right, like a beneficiary or something like that.
1: Okay. So the title company, again, will just draw up the new deed going from the original owner and and transferring the, the title to the new person. They would have to go then get that recorded again in the county. And that copy would come back if the if the person was a CAMA client, that copy would come back to CAMA and we would hold that deed in our files.
0: OK, so it's it's kind of similar. And how long typically does a this process take? Is it I know, you know, sometimes people call in and they've got deals that, you know, have just come on the market and they want to get it done very right. quickly or, you know, how like on average, how how long do you see this process typically take for you
1: uh, to actually do the purchase? You're saying to go through the purchase? Is, yeah, typically,
0: um, like from from first contact with, hey, at cabin plan, I have this property I'm interested in purchasing in my IRA to closed and it's in the client's
1: IRA. Right. Uh, well, some can happen within a week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them, they will put their, you know, they'll have the sales contract agreement signed and ready to go, and it may take a month or two because uh, title searches or, or different things hold up the purchase. But I have seen them go through within a week or two, as long as we have the the documents that we need. The, the account is funded here at CAMA, so maybe that's another part too. If someone is just opening the account with CAMA, you want to make sure that your account is funded with enough money to cover the purchase price of course but then any any renovations or any expenses that may come up on the property later on so you want to be sure that your account has enough money and that's that's one thing that i have run into at times Mm -hmm. Um, once the ira has purchased the property you have to remember that all of the expenses have to be paid by that ira so you don't want to run short because you can't mix in personal money that's a no-no
0: Right. And is that probably one of the most common, I you know, for lack of a better word, mistakes that you've seen investors make? Or are there other ones that you've seen? What are um, some of the, you know, what can people do basically to avoid those mistakes and then make sure that their purchases are executed correctly and efficiently
1: after that? So kind of a two-parter question. What are the mistakes right, and right. how do they fix it? Right. Well, again, with with the funding Sure, if you have funds from another IRA or you're able to make a contribution for the year, if you're if you run a little short on funds and you're able to transfer money in from another custodian or or add to your account by a contribution, you can certainly do that. However, at times people don't have that money to go back to. So that's where you really need to figure out what the purchase price is, how much you're gonna need in renovations. Now the other thing on on that side is that you may have a renter right away, and that's great because now you'll have that rental income, which should definitely offset the expenses that you have. But in the event you don't have a renter right away, or it falls through, and you're you're without you know rent rental income for a few months, you want to be sure that you've got some backup money to take care of those expenses. So that that's that's one uh, that doesn't I do see that occasionally. It's not that big of a problem, though. And your second part of your question was...
0: (laughs) (laughs) um, How, you know, I think you kind of cover it with making sure that, you know, planning ahead and making sure that you have the proper funds to purchase a property and to cover, you know, any expenses that have to come through for that property within your IRA. So um, are there any other ways, you know, making sure what are some of the things that you've seen like even in the real estate process or purchasing process that you've seen like common mistakes, whether it comes to titling or this and that, like what do you recommend? I know we don't really, we can't really technically give any advice here, but in terms of, you know, strategies to recommend to folks to avoid holdups in their, in their purchasing processes, like what are some of the ways to make sure that a purchase can be executed as quickly and efficiently as possible?
1: Right. Um, I guess the number one thing is the paperwork. A lot of times the titling does not come through correctly. So you just want to be sure that that's done. The funds are in place. If you are maybe partnering with someone, so maybe your IRA does not have enough money for the purchase. So you can certainly partner. You can actually partner with yourself or a spouse. And you want to make sure though, that once that happens and the purchase ha- has been completed. Again, all of the expenses then and rental income is going to go along the percentage of ownership. So sometimes that can be an issue when they're structuring the deals. But as long as you know your IRA is 50% owner and maybe you put in 50% personal money, as long mm-hmm. as you follow the, the rules and follow the percentage of ownership as far as expenses and income are concerned, you're okay at times people will say well i'll just i'll just add in a few extra dollars to this well no you really can't do that you know it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely got to follow those lines or else you're you're creating a prohibited transaction
0: right and does it have to be at least 50% the your ira in order for it to be a transaction
1: yeah no it could be anything that you want right you could have okay. yep two people partnering or three people it could be 10% it doesn't matter it's just you want to follow those those rules
0: Right. And so that's it's all kind of written into the documentation that because I know I've seen when I used to sort mail and bring you all of these documents, I remember seeing sometimes up to like five names on these on these title paperwork or on this title paperwork. But some of it was like John Smith or Jane Doe's uh, like in the name of Camaplan, Jane Doe, FBO Jane Doe, IRA administrator. So like it was Jane's IRA, but John was her husband that was partnering but he didn't necessarily have an IRA so Correct. And I, you can I see track. what you're saying. Yeah. Great. So it doesn't really it's not there aren't strict rules in terms of how much your IRA has to invest in in order to hold a portion of the property in the IRA. So how does it Correct. I guess that brings up another question is how does it work if you're partnering with someone else in terms of how the assets distributed or titled or, or things like that in terms of how is the real estate asset held in someone's IRA if they aren't the full 100% owner of it?
1: Well, so say you have three people in the deal, so the IRA is maybe 30% owner. It's just mm-hmm. that the deed will read plan" for the benefit of, of Jane's IRA, 30%, and it'll list the other people on that deed as well. Uh, okay. So it's very mm-hmm. clear who owns what portion of that property. Now when you when sometimes when that happens, you know, Cama certainly can pay the expenses and do all that for you, but maybe at that time people will hire a property manager to manage the account. Because now you've got a PICO bill that comes through and everybody owns owes its portion of that bill, it becomes a little cumbersome. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a good time that maybe you get a property manager and then they they will accept all of the payments and they'll pay out the bills from there. But again, everybody has to pay proportionate to their their ownership in that property.
0: Got it. Okay, so it's like every every payment that comes in, like you're saying, a PICO bill would be, you know, if I if my IRA owns thirty percent of what's on the deed, it's that's what's been written up in the paperwork. I pay thirty percent of the PICO bill.
1: Correct. Correct. Got it. Right. Okay. And at times, you know, that that's a little cumbersome. Like I said, if you have three or four people. Oh, yeah owning the property, Pico doesn't want to get four checks. So right. <laughs> buying them all. <laughs> right. So yeah. But um, so that's probably that part people have to be a little careful with because again, you can't just say, all right, well, I'm going to pay for this and then, and then this person's going to pay for this part. You, you really can't do it that way. You really should split it up. So it's, it's uh, clear. And the same thing with the income. Sometimes people will say, you know, I want to make this investment with my IRA and I have enough money to do the whole purchase, but maybe I want to see some of that income come back into my pocket personally. So what they'll do is partner with themselves personally and then say they get, you know, $1,000 of rental income a month, 500 will go back to the IRA and 500 will go into their personal pockets so they can use that money now.
0: Got it. Well, thank you. That that really clears up a lot because I know, I mean, honestly, I've talked to you so many times on the phone. I've transferred you so many phone right. calls and <laughs> sent you so much mail. But honestly, I don't think I really knew too much about just how specific some of the breakdown can get on this paperwork. Right. So I think that really helps contextualize it for me, at least. I hope our <laughs> listeners will definitely, especially if there's someone like me, they'll be like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hope that helps. I hope that helps. Oh, for sure. You always are someone that I can go to in the office and I'm like, Donna, I don't get it. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: So, yeah, you've been, you're not only helping the clients, you're
1: helping uh, all of us here at
0: Gamma too, Donna. <laughs> Perfect. Good to hear. <laughs> so you mentioned um, getting property managers for things like, you know, when when titles get cumbersome and income and payments have to be made and how that all gets distributed and things like that. So... Some of the players in real estate purchases you've brought up, it's you, a title company, realtors, attorneys, IRA administrators. What are some of the roles or what are the roles that each person plays and when do they get involved in the purchase? Um, I know you've kind of touched on this before, but if you Mm -hmm. can break people, the roles down a little bit so that there's a a definition almost to a lot of them, I think that would also help kind of contextualize, you know, when a property manager would be useful uh, the way you kind of just described a property manager. But some of these things like title company versus attorney versus realtor, like how do they all play into this process?
1: So the realtor is probably the first person that we are in contact with because they're helping the person obviously find the property and they're going to draw up that, that sales contract for them. Now, if you have an attorney, a lot of times he'll do that as well. But the realtor, I would say, is the first person that we're in contact with. Then as the process goes on and you know either that agreement gets accepted or maybe you know someone bids higher and the client loses the property, we're still dealing with the realtor as far as signing docs with them. Once it gets closer to the to the settlement, then the realtors start working with the title companies or the attorneys. And that's when we get involved as well, because you know, maybe we need to get certain Company docs over to them to, to let them know who we are and who can sign on behalf of the IRA. But at that point, I'm involved or whoever we're involved with the client, the realtor, and the title company just to get this to the closing and make sure that we have all the documents in order, the signing people in order afterwards, or they can kind of do this while they're purchasing the property. In the meantime, the the clients could go out if they decided to get a property manager and they could go and get that set up. The property manager would have to set up like a bank account somewhere else just for this property and and have good, obviously, record keeping of any money coming in and going out for this property. So they can kind of do that simultaneously. But basically, we're all working together until this goes to closing. Once it goes to closing, you know, then it's probably back to the to the client and camera to work together on bills and those types of things.
0: Got it. So that helps. I think me understand a lot of the the players and their roles and when they kind of come into Jump in, right. the process. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. The question I have, I guess now kind of relates to something you already have touched on in terms of, you know, the IRS has some pretty strict rules when it comes to who is allowed to work on a property, who is allowed to live in it if it's owned within your IRA. So you've explained some of the rules and how they operate with the properties held in a self-directed IRA. But is there anything additional that, you know, besides you can't work on it, you can't live in it, that people should know when it comes to IRS regulations within an IRA and owning real estate within it?
1: So it's basically, you know, you, your spouse, your children, your parents, your grandparents are disqualified. So it's great. You got this beautiful property, you know, vacation home, but none of those people can use that. So you can't go down and work on it. You can't stay in it. You know, you can't even, you're not really even supposed to be there overnight, right? So you you can't use that. And that would go for anyone that the IRS deems disqualified people from doing transactions with you. And the same thing, you would have to hire a contractor to, to do the work. They go, they pick out the materials, and you would have to pay them to do all the work on the property. So that's, that's a, another thing that, because people don't realize that you really can't go and use that. Or like I said in the beginning, hey, you know, my husband's a contractor and he's going to go do the work on the property. Well, he's not allowed to. You have to actually hire someone and pay them because now your IRA is getting a specific benefit for you having someone close to you that could do the the work for next to nothing. So yeah.
0: So in terms of partnering, then, um, if you're partnered with, you know, say your own personal funds, even though a portion of that property is owned with your personal funds, it would still count as a benefit towards your IRA, right? So like. The regulations kind of apply regardless of the percentage that's owned with your IRA, or is it? Does that when it gets is that when it gets kind of dicey? Um, If it's someone's, even if it's not just personal finances, if you're partnered with your husband, he's the contractor. Where does that line get drawn? I guess.
1: Oh, so so if you're asking, can you? So even if you're, say, your IRA was only ten percent owner of the property. you still, he still can do no, can do no work or still. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the rules always apply. Correct. Mm -hmm. The rules always apply. If your IRA is 5% owner of that property, you still, those rules still apply because the IRA is involved in the purchase. Yeah.
0: Okay. Got it. So it's kind of just like, you know, at that point, At any level, your IRA is receiving a benefit, so
1: correct. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. You do not want to do that. No,
0: exactly. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, that (laughs) that helps contextualize it for sure. I'll be sure to keep all of my relatives out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Any real estate with my with my uh, IRA. So, in terms of how, and we talked about you know payments coming in, income from rentals on that on a property or Payments leaving the IRA. How are mm-hmm. things paid during each of the steps in the purchasing process? I know we've mentioned deposits a couple of times, but right. you know how does how do deposits work for this process? Uh,
1: so that will be detailed when you get the sales contract. So at that time, when we're signing the sales contract, they will either require that deposit or not. If they do, then obviously we have a form for our clients to fill out the asset purchase directive. They would send that in and say, you know, could you sign a copy of this contract and send out $500 to the title company? So, so that's determined at that time. I would say probably 60% of them require deposits. Some do not, but you know, if so, that's, that's when we would do that, send that money out. And then the next, once they get everything together and we're ready to go to closing we're going to do the same thing. Once we get all those documents, the uh, final settlement sheet comes in with all of the expenses on there. We will then send the remainder of the funds out at that time.
0: Got it. What's the difference between a settlement and a closing?
1: Is there? That's is there a pretty difference? much the same thing? Same yeah, thing. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's pretty much the same thing. Yep. The settlement. Gotcha. The closing. Okay. Yep. Same thing. These are all. A lot
0: of these are definitely general questions. I think that would benefit our audience, but mm-hmm. some of them are selfishly just questions I've had since I was up at the front desk, and now <laughs> I'm getting a chance <laughs> to ask you them in an educational there setting. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks, Jonah. But so now, my question kind of my next question takes everything and kind of puts it in reverse. When a property is being sold from an IRA, right? What's that process look like? How does that? How does that differ? How is it the same as the purchasing process? Can you talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit? Sure.
1: So we're, it's, it's actually the same process, right? So I decide, or the IRA owner decides to put the property up for sale. They get a bid. We'll, we'll do the same thing. We're going to sign off on those uh, sales contracts. Hopefully it goes through. And mm-hmm. then you, they will get the title company to drop all the documents. We sign off. The buyer would sign off on the documents. Once it goes through, all those funds would then come back to the CAMA plan um, account, and the property is sold. Hopefully, the client made a nice profit on it. And um, yeah, the paperwork is is basically the same, just like you said, in reverse order. <laughs> Got it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and all and- the same
1: type of documents as we did for the for the purchase. Mm-hmm. It's going to be basically those same type of documents for a sale.
0: Got it. And are all the same people involved? Is it kind of the same timeline and everything? Yes. Yes. Got it. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what is there anything that happens? I guess I'm just wondering if you have you ever seen it happen when someone wants to put a property up for sale and it just isn't selling for a while, or is it typically someone there's someone waiting on the other end?
1: Uh, I've seen all different. <laughs> different things right now. I think is the is a good time for property sales. So they seem to be, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, yeah, it could it can happen either way. Hopefully, you know, the sale goes through quickly for our clients' sake. But I have seen it. You know, some deals fall through, and there's nothing much you can do about that, right? But um, right, yeah,
0: got it. Well, I think you know that kind of covers pretty much all the questions I've had, I don't know, is there anything else you think that people should know when it comes to purchasing real estate, especially younger investors or new investors who might not know exactly, you know, what to expect or are thinking about purchasing that first property?
1: And no, I mean, basically it is an investment. Uh, so if, you know, sometimes people will find properties that are currently being rented, and you're lucky enough to get them and the renter comes right in and you're making that income. At times you may purchase the property and you know, consider renting it out, but someone comes along and, and offers you a great deal on that, great. You could sell that and and put that profit right back into your IRA within a couple of months if if it happens that way. If they are real estate investors, I mean we do get a lot of people that Know all about real estate; they've done it personally. So, when it comes to the IRA, they're very familiar with it. Obviously, there is like just that extra step in there because CAMA has to sign documents and things. But we do get a lot of people that are very familiar with p- purchasing real estate, so it's pretty easy for them to do it in the IRA because it's all the same steps. Again, mm-hmm. one added step we we add CAMA plan in there, but other than that, it's uh, you know it's, it's it's a great way to invest your your IRA funds.
0: Yeah, definitely. It sounds like, I mean, especially with the fact that you're able to, even if it's a percentage of it, if you can't necessarily plan for all of it to go toward your retirement um, and can only really put like maybe half or 75% of it into an IRA, it sounds like it's, you know, a very viable option for a lot of people to start young because, you know, I've done... In what I've seen, it's like, it's, you know, real estate's obviously not that liquid of an asset. So it seems like it definitely is more of a, as much as it is hands-off in your IRA, more of a, a hands-on asset in general yes. than say, you know, a note or even precious metals, that sort of thing. It's um, a little bit more tangible. So it sounds like it's a good vehicle, especially for like young people to get started in investing and and saving and building wealth for toward that
1: retirement age. Right, right. And you're right. I mean, you have to be a little more hands on with with the real estate. With a note, you know, it's basically you get the paperwork together, it pays you monthly, maybe or annually, and there's not a lot of work with it. With the real estate, you do have to be on top of things because there are bills to be paid. There's renovations, you always have to be sure that your taxes are being paid, you know, and then obviously, issues with tenants and paying or not paying. So you do have to be a little more hands-on, but it certainly can be beneficial to your IRA.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I guess to go off that question, I just love talking. I'm going to keep you here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to go off that question, you know, with it being a an asset that's not necessarily, you know, the most liquid, is it something that, you know, you've seen a lot of investors choose to sell quicker or quickly as they've they approach retirement age or is it something that you know kind of it's open to anybody and it's it's not a young man's game it it all kind of depends or is it something that you've seen people really take a look at in terms of you know where they're at in their investment
1: journey like you said if if you could get started early you know and buy that property early and have it sitting in your ira for for you know 5 10 15 20 years that would be great as long as you're getting that rental income, you can't ask for anything more than that. Um, sometimes people do start a little bit later, but again, maybe they don't hold it that long. And mm-hmm. if it's a good market and someone's willing to pay you know, more money than what you purchased it for, great way to, to build your IRA account again. Sometimes people will also, and you are allowed to do this, you could have that property, purchase it through your IRA, and maybe take it as a distribution. So maybe you did want that home as a as a vacation home f- when you retire. Mm-hmm. So you are allowed obviously you would pay the taxes when you do that, but you could certainly take portions, maybe you'll do it over a period of 4 years and take take portions of that property as a distribution each year and at the in the end you own it personally. So now you could use that as a as a vacation home in your retirement. Oh. So, yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe if you got that's started cool. a little bit later in life, right? And then you mm-hmm. held it for 5 or 10 years, you're getting close to retirement, you could actually take that that property as a distribution. Again, you're going to pay the taxes at that time, but that's, right. you know, that would be okay.
0: Mhm. Awesome. Well, that's that's really cool. I mean, I definitely feel like I learned way more than I <laughs> even <laughs> thought that I thought I, I already knew about real estate just from this conversation. So yeah, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate you. you taking the time and, and breaking all this down for us, Donna. I think this is going to be very helpful for a lot of people, especially new investors that are starting out in real estate might not know the process or are thinking about maybe using it in terms of a, a vehicle for building retirement wealth. So one quick question before we do sign off is, you know, how can people reach you if they have more questions? You are queen of the phones at Kama. So <laughs> what's the best way for people to reach you?
1: So they can obviously call directly to our office, or you can always send emails over to operations at com, And we'll help you through the process. Any documents that you have, send them over to us. You know, We'll take a look and give you a call and go over what we need to get this real estate purchase ready for you.
0: Great, thank you again. I I miss you a lot. It's been nice to talk to you, Dunn.
1: It has been nice talking to you too, Jess. (laughs) Thanks
0: (laughs) again, and for those of you listening, feel free to tune in next week so you can hear more from our experts who have paved their roads to financial freedom, or you can call CamoPlan today to learn more about how you can start to take control of your future wealth. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all for tuning into our podcast. We truly hope that you're enjoying your ride along the road to financial freedom so far. If you like what you've heard and learned, or if you want to hear more about certain topics that we may have already covered or have yet to cover, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. We would love to hear any feedback from you so that we may continue to make our podcast the best that it can be for you, our listeners. Thanks again, everyone. And remember, tune in next week to The Road to Financial Freedom.